Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. I'm Colleen Christie. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. We begin with breaking news. An aggressive wildfire is forcing evacuations just east of Kelowna. Flames erupting behind Black Mountain on Philpot Road late this afternoon. Reporter Lauren Pullen is in the area. Lauren, this fire quickly ramped up to a rank six, which is aggressive. Yeah, that's right, Colleen. A pretty chaotic scene, as you can imagine. This fire started at about 1.30 this afternoon just outside of Kelowna, was estimated at about 40 hectares, and it quickly exploded to 300 hectares, and it is still growing and burning out of control at this hour. 1,100 homes have been evacuated, the entire region of Joe Rich, and that spans about 25 kilometers along Highway 33 here. Emergency officials no chances with this one. They're just wanting to get everyone out. Now, there are no reports of homes lost, but we did see several plumes of black smoke while we were here throughout the afternoon. The highway is closed in both directions uh, near Kelowna and near the Big White Closure. I was at that intersection, Colleen, and I saw a family, a mother and son holding hands with her niece and nephew, and they were walking along the highway out of that evacuation zone, just holding whatever they could in their hands trying to contain the emotions as you can imagine this is such an overwhelming time for all of those people who've been forced from their homes not knowing if they'll have homes to go back to and i was able to touch base with her and ask her just what was running through her head and here's what she had to say ran outside called 911 several times for air tanker strike because it just bloomed up in like two seconds it you could see it all the way through i just finished picking up, packing up my house my husband's coming down with the vehicles and well, I just, I don't even know what to say. Anxious, um, sad, don't know what to think. I, I just don't know. So, Colleen, an incredibly tough time for all of those evacuated, but also a tough time for those fire crews who still have a lot of fighting here left to do. Colleen? Lauren, thanks for that. We apologize for the technical difficulties in Lauren's head. A Vancouver couple is sharing a difficult story, hoping they'll spare others the loss they're now suffering. While in the middle of a move, they were the victims of theft of thousands of dollars in valuables and precious heirlooms. And as if that wasn't bad enough, in a desperate attempt back, they were duped again. Jennifer Palma has their story. You notice some damage. It's been and a devastating week for Liz Barron and her three kids, who are in the middle of moving. Contents of my grandparents' hutch was tipped out. On Monday, around 3:45 in the afternoon, the family returned to their Camby area home. They realized the window to the girls' room had been tampered with, and they were scared someone was inside their house. They called police. I felt like really scared, knowing that someone like broke into our house. The robbers took $80,000 worth of jewels, gold, and electronics. But that's nothing compared to the family's anguish. Sentimental items like Liz's wedding jewelry and precious heirlooms passed down from her grandmother, like this watch, also stolen, 
the safe some of the items had been stored in. It's a really helpless feeling. You just want to do anything you can do, right, to retrieve the goods. So they decided to place ads on Kijiji and Craigslist and to give a reward, no questions asked, if they could get their stuff back. Someone answered. An e-transfer was made and a meeting place at the Naimo SkyTrain station was agreed upon. You know, hope is a double-edged sword. We followed it as far as we could until they required a $500 deposit. And then once we went through the safe, it was going to be $2,500 more. And we were going to walk away quite happy. Um, but of course, nobody showed up. So, scammed again, lesson learned. The Vancouver police are investigating. As for the family, they still hope they'll get their meaningful items back and hope their story helps others not fall victim. Really and truly, if you handed me a million dollars, I would trade it to have those things back. They're irreplaceable. I hope that the bad guys don't come back and don't steal any more special stuff. Jennifer Palba, Global News. Well, how much is too much when it comes to information on home rental applications? The Privacy Commissioner is looking at limiting what information landlords are allowed to collect on prospective tenants. Ted Chernecki has more on the potential changes and what prompted the query. Ted. Well, what prompted this was a sudden increase in the number of complaints from frustrated would-be tenants. And the Acting Privacy Commissioner is pretty sure there are many more complaints yet to come forward. Anyone trying to find somewhere to rent in the Lower Mainland or Victoria knows the market without having to read all those no-vacancy signs. This is a landlord's market, not a renter's one. BC's Information and Privacy Officer has been getting complaints of landlords asking for bank statements, even social insurance numbers, and even taking photocopies of them. There's a balancing act between what landlords are entitled to ask for when putting up a unit for rent and what tenants have to provide. And that balancing act seems to be a little skewed right now, especially in the hot marketplace. When it's this tough to find accommodation, it's believed that many renters don't even complain to the landlord or to the privacy commissioner for fear of losing out on the one chance they might have at scoring a place to live. BC Landlord, the umbrella group that advocates for landlords, admits there's a problem but believes it's largely coming from the majority of secondary landlords who they're always trying to reach out to. We have so many great landlords who have taken the time to learn the Residential Tenancy Act. And from our perspective, if you want to be a landlord, if you do not understand the Residential Tenancy Act, frankly, you shouldn't be in the business. It should be common sense for both sides. You wouldn't hand over your T4 slip to anyone or a bank statement. Yet there are multiple complaints where the landlords ask for just that. No landlord, for example, is even allowed to write down a document number and certainly not to photocopy it. Uh, landlords obviously have a right to confirm your identity, but that doesn't mean that you have to provide a social insurance number. That would be over-collection of information. In some cases, we've seen landlords who are asking for unredacted copies of T4 slips. That's too much information. So now the acting commissioner is launching a more widespread investigation because he expects the vast majority of would-be renters will remain silent. And Chris, in such a tight real estate market, the landlords really do have all the cards. So perhaps it's prudent that someone makes sure the tenants are being treated fairly. Chris? Thanks so much, Ted. Go back to the Philippines. Hard to forget this disturbing incident we showed you last night. A racist outburst on SkyTrain caught on video. TransLink is now investigating. It says the 75-year-old New Westminster woman is known to them for anger issues and will be spoken to.
Well, sadly, a Calgary teacher is the victim of a similar verbal assault. The woman came to Canada from Bangladesh eight years ago. During a recent visit to Manitoba, she asked a man in a parking lot for directions. The reaction she got might have been hard to believe had it not been caught on camera. Global's Fletcher Kent reports. Take your head towel off in this country then. Kanis Fatima has heard a lot since immigrating. This Canada Day encounter was different. I was shocked um, with the term he used. He proclaimed himself Nazi. Fatima, who lives in Calgary, says she and her family were on vacation in Manitoba, stopped and asked for directions when the screaming began. Take it off! Why should I take it off? While scared, Fatima says she wasn't about to back down. I need to stand up and raise my voice, and I need to let him know that, you know, I belong to this country. Soon, she got help. You don't even have to explain yourself, because you're just as much Canadian as he is. Two women walked up. One of them was from Edmonton, also on vacation. Now, Alicia Gertzen is back at work in a hair salon. and She says she was disgusted by what she heard. I'm kind of that kind of personality, so... I just marched in there. I didn't think. Like, I couldn't tell you why I did it. I just, it needed to be done. When contacted by Global News, the man at the heart of this said he wasn't actually a Nazi. No, I'm not. I got mad. Uh, The terrorists wouldn't leave me alone, so I got mad. And such anger has left the others involved mad, too, and they vow to keep fighting back. That's not what being Canadian is. We have to stand up. We cannot just let it happen. Fletcher Kent, Global News. Hmm. Police are investigating a prank that seriously injured a North Vancouver teen who was just minding his own business. On Monday, the 13-year-old was walking home along Highland Boulevard when a southbound black Honda CRV blaring loud rap music drove by. He suddenly felt a sharp pain in his right eye. Turns out he was struck by an egg thrown by a passenger from inside the vehicle. He fell to the ground. And a good Samaritan happened to see it, uh, stopped and offered him assistance. Uh, The young boy was able to walk home where his family immediately took him to the hospital. We always say it's all fun and games until somebody loses an eye. And this is this is exactly what's what's happening. We've had other reports in the last month of, you know, rocks and eggs thrown at buildings. And, you know, you can clean up an egg off a building Uh, when an egg hits you in the eye and you have eye damage. That's for life. Police are investigating a suspicious death in Machosan on Vancouver Island. The body of a man was found at around noon yesterday in a rural area on Malik Road. Police are saying little at this time, only that they do suspect foul play. They were charged with sexual assault. Today, two former players in the Whitecaps Youth Residency Program appeared in court. Romina Dea was in court as well. Romina, bring us up to speed on this. What happened? Colleen, with their mom standing next to them in front of the judge, both of the accused pleaded not guilty. This case is going to trial. The alleged victim's mother, not surprised. Her son's former teammates pleaded not guilty to one count each of sexual assault. Obviously, you know, as a family, we're super frustrated. Like I feel, the truth will always come out. We'll call her Jane because legally we have to protect her son's identity. She tells us her teenage son will testify. You know, he's obviously anxious and nervous about it, but um, at the end of the day, he knows that you have to do the right thing. Jane says her son was pinned to the ground in the locker room after soccer practice in June. Her description of the alleged sex assault, 
graphic. The accused, former players of the Whitecaps Elite Youth Residency Program, both under 17. My son is, you know, he's very hurt. The fact that um, the Whitecaps have not reached out to him um, feels like they've just abandoned him. We reached out to the Whitecaps, but the club is not commenting any further because the case is before the courts. Now, both accused are back home tonight. They were released on several conditions. Unfortunately, our hands are tied as far as releasing any more details, Colleen, because there is a publication ban in effect. The case is back in court on September 21st. Back to you. Thanks, Romina. Beyond the obvious difficulties associated with parking in Vancouver is a frustrating problem that happens every summer. Depending on where you park, you could find your vehicle covered in a sticky mess. Kristen Robinson explains where it's coming from and what residents want done about it. In this Vancouver neighborhood, looks can be deceiving. When they first come out in Lee Fairy Spring, they're very pretty. Not for long. The linden trees that line East 19th Avenue near Trout Lake, a handful of the 6,900 that remain after close to 10,000 were planted in the 80s and 90s. And just a disaster on the streets. It's a, a bit of a plague. <laughs> During the summer, a sticky situation. Like the sap on there is just, it's coated everything. It's all over the paint, everything. And it just, if you don't wash it off, say every day, every second day, it just builds up and it's really hard on the paint. The problem, aphids love these trees. The sap-sucking insects feed and reproduce in the heat, secreting honeydew, a sugary substance that rains down on cars, sidewalks, and property. But the sap is just unbelievable, tracking the house and, yeah, and your vehicles are the main thing. It's very hard to get off. It's, it's like a glue. It's just a really sticky, ugly uh, mess. As they watch their step, residents petitioning the city to remove the linden trees and replace them with a smaller, less invasive species. They're here. We'd like them taken away. I wish they would take out, if they could take out every other one. Well, I hate to see trees cut down, um, but they're just a bad tree for a city street. 2,800 lindens have been removed over the years, but the park board says cutting down the rest, not an option. That's about 315 blocks of trees in the city of Vancouver. So uh, for us to go and remove all these trees at one time, it's, it's just not manageable. Staff say they will be tracking the mess and prioritizing which trees need to be replaced. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Pretty messy. Combine our great weather with the vast beauty of this region and you have perfect conditions for paragliding. But the scenery got a little too close for one glider this week when something went wrong and he ended up stuck high up in a fir tree near Mission. Getting him down would prove challenging. Getting to the rescue site, well, that was even harder. Find out how some very brave, very fit rescuers did it in just over a minute. Despite evacuations and rescues, eight people are still missing in a massive landslide that struck near the Swiss Alps near the Italian border. We have that story coming up. Plus, going too far, the shocking video of a gymnastics coach forcing his squad to do the splits. Those stories coming up later in the newscast. Well, in a way, he was very lucky, but even for experienced search and rescue crews, it was one for the books. A paraglider was trapped for six hours way up in a tall fir tree north of Mission. Getting him down was hard enough, but as John Waugh reports, 
just getting to the rescue site was an ordeal. This is what the rescue looked like from above, a red paragliding wing resting among the treetops. A very different view from below, where Nicholas Lester desperately clung to a tree, 25 meters off the ground. We set up a bunch of lights. He was just straddling some branches and just hugging the tree. Taking off from the popular launch site on Mount St. Benedict, just north of Mission, the 27-year-old paragliding student was catching thermals on Tuesday when things went horribly wrong. Having a great flight, flying with the birds and stuff, and then I just got too close to the trees, ended up flying into them when my wing collapsed. His instructor called for help, but Lester waited there alone in the tree for four hours. Then the sound of salvation. I heard their whistle, that was the first thing I heard, and I yelled out and I heard them call back. And then I knew that someone was coming, and then that made me feel a lot better. But finding him was one thing, getting him down a first for the team. Slightly nerve-wracking knowing that someone is unsecure up in a tree and uh, you know, could potentially fall at any moment. Luckily, they had the man for the job. Brian Moffitt, not just a Ridge Meadows SAR member, but an arborist as well. We're very fortunate to have Brian, the arborist, uh, to, to set up the system to be basically scale the tree, set up an anchor above where Nick was situated, put a harness on him, and, and lower him to the ground safely. Uh, he was making jokes and stuff. He was being funny and trying to keep me calm. The reward for the rescue, a cold night out on the mountain. The team too tired to tackle the steep terrain, back down. The next morning, a lawn line lift out of the woods. I felt pretty safe that they knew what they were doing, they were going to get me out. Before he knew it, this thankful paraglider was back in the air. But thanks to his rescuers, this time, it was a much better landing. John Hua, Global News. We have some breaking news now. Premier John Horgan will be joined by the Minister of Transportation and Infrastructure for an important announcement tomorrow. Our Keith Baldry is live with the details on this. Keith, speculation that this has to do with their promise on tolls? Well, you know, I think it can be argued, Colleen, that the NDP is in government right now because of one campaign promise, and that was to get rid of the tolls on the Portman Bridge and the Golden Ears Bridge. That translated, obviously, into a number of seats in the eastern suburbs falling into the NDP's hands because getting rid of the tolls has a big positive financial impact on thousands of people who live in places like Surrey, Burnaby, and the Tri-Cities. And as a matter of fact, John Horgan and Claire Trevena will be in the Tri-Cities tomorrow at Port Coquitlam uh, and just happens to have as a backdrop the Portman Bridge. So yes, there is widespread speculation that tomorrow we will see the final announcement of exactly how and when the tolls will come off those two bridges. It's obviously the NDP wants to get going on a number of its campaign promises. And as I say, I think this ranks at the top of the list, at least in terms of securing voters' support. We'll know more one way or another tomorrow at 10 a.m. So it's a, potentially a key campaign promise fulfilled. All right, Keith, thanks for that. All right. A local team breaks a fundraising record for a man who didn't make it long enough to do the ride himself. Plus, the largest playground ever built in Vancouver opened today. But this is no ordinary playground. What makes this place so special? That story next and later. Shocking video that shows young cheerleaders screaming in pain as their coach physically forces them to do the splits. Stay with us. You could call them superstar fundraisers. A team in the upcoming Ride to Conquer Cancer has broken the record for the most money raised with an astonishing tally. As Linda Aylesworth reports, they're hoping that money will help save lives by bringing a new treatment to B.C. 
They are members of Daryl's Heidelberg Hope, a team of cyclists about to embark on this weekend's 250-kilometer ride to conquer cancer. Their inspiration, Daryl Clark. Daryl is 59 years old, three beautiful children, married for 33 years. So, way too young and just the most vibrant, wonderful man. Daryl was diagnosed with advanced prostate cancer three and a half years ago. He realized that in time, treatment options in Vancouver would run out. So he researched and found something promising developed in Germany, his Heidelberg Hope. So we made the um, decision, the commitment as a family, to go to Munich and to, for Daryl to have that treatment. Instead of uh, essentially having all normal tissues and so on, receiving uh, chemotherapy uh, drugs, in this case, it only is delivered to the cancer cells, and then it can concentrate 50, 100, 200 times more. So new, this radionuclide therapy is only given on compassionate grounds to those who have no other options and who can afford the trip to Germany. We got the idea of going out there and raising the money to try to bring this particular treatment that he had identified from Europe over here to North America. So is everyone organized for Saturday morning? And so Daryl's Heidelberg Hope team started fundraising. We, as of yesterday, have raised more money than any team in the history of the ride, over $600,000. For Daryl, the therapy came too late. He passed away in June. But thanks to him and his devoted friends, the BC Cancer Agency hopes to start clinical trials as soon as next year. All we really want is, you know, obviously, Daryl to be here too. But if we can help others, that's the whole reason for this. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Good luck to them and everybody on the ride. Well, this ought to make the end of summer vacation a little easier to take for a lot of kids. The city of Vancouver christened its newest and largest playground today. The new Creekside Park near Science World measures more than 1,700 square meters, most of it accessible for children who use wheelchairs. It features a climbing tower, giant tube slide, swings, and get this, a 22-meter long zip line. The playground costs just under a million dollars to build. How do we challenge our children on our playgrounds? How do we make them more useful for different age groups? How do we get kids to really want to be involved and hang out at the playgrounds, not for five minutes, not to be on their phones, but to actually challenge them to grow and watch older kids do things? Looks like a blast. Another great place to play? Of course, the Peony. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is taking in Toytopia tonight. Christy, that's hard to say. Toytopia, Toytopia. You can say it three times and not make a mistake. Yeah, you're right. Um, but you know what? This is a perfect type of place to come down with your family. It's free with admission. And uh, there's a lot for the kids to do down here. There's life-size uh, toys, especially this toy house behind me, which is popular for both boys and girls. They can play in the kitchen. And then off to my right here is the uh, Star Wars zone where there's uh, a very large TIE fighter. Yoda's over there, R2-D2 as well. So lots to do down here. We'll show you more when I come back in a bit. But when we talk about weather, we had lightning storms through the interior today. So I'll show you which areas were hit and about your weekend, which areas could hit 28 degrees. Colleen. All right. Look forward to it. Thanks, Christy. That massive Powerball jackpot was won by one person. We'll tell you all about her. Plus this. Water, 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 water. Got a search for those missing following a massive landslide near the Swiss Alps near Italy. And why some want the name Sir John A. Macdonald removed from schools. Those stories when Global News at 6 continues.
Video out of Switzerland captures the moment a huge rock slide breaks loose and crashes down onto a small village near the Italian border. As many as eight people are still missing after millions of tons of debris swept through the town. But hundreds of lives may have been saved by an early warning system. A rush of mud and stone left a trail of devastation and destruction, engulfing the village of Bondo near the Italian border. Police initially said there were no injuries, but they still haven't accounted for a handful of people who were in the area at the time of the slide. About 200 locals managed to flee as 4 million cubic metres of mud, the equivalent to nearly 2,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools, swallowed homes and damaged roads and buildings. Residents escaped largely due to an alarm system triggered when the mudslide struck Wednesday. The area has history with disasters like this. A similar slide happened five years ago and the valley has been monitored for unusual movement since June this year. Scientists are still investigating how the landslide started and it's still not clear when people can return to their homes. Gavin Ramjorn for CBS News. China's Guangdong province is cleaning up from Typhoon Haito, the 13th major storm to hit China this year. Rain and wind tore apart buildings and flooded streets. At least eight people were killed, more than 200 injured, and nearly 30,000 had to be evacuated. As the United States struggles with what to do with Confederate statues, here in Canada, the legacy of our country's first prime minister is being debated. A move is afoot to remove Sir John A. Macdonald's name from all schools and public buildings in Ontario. Critics call Macdonald the architect of genocide against Indigenous peoples and say having his name on schools makes them an unsafe place to learn. What becomes Canada was only created through the, through the destruction of the people who, or the attempted destruction of the people who were already here. McDonald's defenders acknowledge his checkered history with Indigenous peoples, but say that's an unfair and one-sided assessment of his overall legacy. Some shocking video that would make any parent's blood boil has forced a Denver school to put cheerleading coaches and administrators on leave. The video shows a teenage girl crying in pain as she's forced into a painful split. Pushed to her limit and beyond. Tonight, outrage in a Denver high school over disturbing footage showing teenage cheerleaders crying out in pain. 13-year-old Allie Wakefield begs her coach to stop nine times. The video from cheer camp given to NBC station KUSA shows Allie and teammates struggling to do painful splits. I just didn't expect to have to do elevated splits and be forced into it. He was pushing like with his other knee on my back to try to keep my posture straight. Wakefield's mother says she contacted the school back in June after her daughter tore muscle and damaged ligaments. This is a grown man pushing my 13-year-old girl so hard against her will that he's ripping tissues in her body. At Denver's East High School this morning, turmoil. Five top school officials have been placed on leave, including the principal and the coach, standard procedure during an investigation. Denver Public Schools saying we will not allow any situation in which a student is forced to perform an activity beyond the point at which they express their desire to stop. 
Denver police also launching an investigation after the KUSA story aired. Known for his tumbling stunts, this was Coach Ozell Williams' first year at the school. Although he's not commenting now, his methods are in question as investigators decide how much is too much when it comes to pushing aspiring athletes to be their best. Lucy Kafanov, NBC News. Governments and health officials are struggling with the deadly opioid crisis sweeping B.C. and all of North America. But an Nanaimo-based researcher says he has a possible solution. As Nitu Garcha reports, he says marijuana could be the key. The deadly opioid epidemic. A crippling crisis. And part of the solution has been right under our noses, according to this B.C. researcher. Cannabis can be considered, at least for some individuals, an exit drug to problematic substance use. Philippe Lucas's study was published last week in the Harm Reduction Journal. It also found pot can prevent or reduce opioid use. There may be three time periods that are specifically relevant when it comes to look at cannabis as a safer substitute. The first, Lucas says, is for chronic pain. He says medicinal cannabis can be as effective as opioids, but doesn't come with the same risk of overdose or dependence. The second, when someone is already using opioids but is worried about the side effects or increasing their use. That's when, according to the study, cannabis as a supplemental therapy can help with cravings and withdrawals. And the third time period is when individuals have found they have a dependence on opioids and have sought treatment, cannabis as an adjunct therapy at that point can increase treatment success. The owner of this addiction specialty clinic in Victoria that offers methadone and suboxone treatment programs is blunt when it comes to her skepticism, saying pot is a gateway drug. That is absolutely not true. It will not prevent an addiction if someone's taking opiates for a long term or, you know, a few, depending on the amount, they can be addicted within a month. The latest Stats show illicit drug deaths in B.C. continue to rise at a rate of almost four each day. And that's why Lucas says the bottom line is for governments here and around the world to listen up and change policies he says are based on misinformation and fear. And replacing those with policies based on science, reason and compassion. Nitu Garja, Global News. Well, it may be the most popular attraction at the fair at the PNE. Oh yeah, there is a very special addition to this year's Super Dog Show, though. One that hits very close to home for Squire. But first, we meet last night's Powerball winner and why she decided to come forward right away. When Global News at 6 continues. Oh yeah, I know. It's never going to be me. It's just a pipe dream I've always had. Oh, famous last words after the forecast, the $759 million Powerball winner and the surprising list of people that she's now richer than. Christy, it's hard to believe. It's unreal. <laughs> I don't know what I would do that with that amount of money. It would have to take a couple days to think about that. Colleen, we're at Toytopia, which is... Um, the building that's right at the corner of Hastings and Renfrew, right very close to uh, the Peony Prize home. And if you've got a couple hours you want to kill with a family down here at the Peony, this is a great way to do it because they've got tons of interactive games like this life-size uh, Lightbrite. And it is packed with kids all day long, as well as it's got some brain teaser type of uh, puzzles and then building blocks. So a lot of fun for kids down here at Toytopia and is free with admission. Now let's talk about the weather. We had a number of lightning storms. 
storms in through the interior today. They traveled from the Williams Lake area down through right near the Elephant Hill fire over towards Canloops. Lightning strikes as of 1 p.m. today. They had 20 new fires because of lightning. And I'm sure through the latter part of the afternoon, more were ignited and gusty winds as well, up to 60K. Now we have a high-pressure ridge that's set to push in across southern regions. But can you see that low-pressure center that's off in the distance? That moisture is going to hit the north and central coast and northern part of Vancouver Island once again and not be able to push anywhere further inland, unfortunately. So you'll see that that ridge of high pressure just holds that moisture off, which is terrible news for all of the fires. Now, we may see some cloud cover even across the south coast with a slight chance of showers, but otherwise, we are going to miss it, and we are back to dry conditions for the next little while. So there you go. There's the rain for the northern regions, especially in areas like Prince Rupert, Prince George of Guinea. You may see some cloud cover, but otherwise, you're back to dry conditions, and that extends across all southern regions as well. Now, for uh, temperatures, we're going to be near seasonal for tomorrow, but this weekend, it is really going to heat up. So back to hot, dry, and by the way, the winds are going to ease off. So if you're in the interior, expect the smoke to begin to return and to become hazy once again. South coast, a slight chance of showers for those of you here, especially in the morning, but really a mix of sun and cloud for the latter part of the day. Uh, Near seasonal temperatures for tomorrow, but hitting 28 degrees Sunday and Monday away from the water. It is going to be hot. Here's a look at your birthdays for tonight. One, happy birthday. Oh no, I'm sorry, an anniversary. Barry and Howard Corstead uh, celebrating 71 years together from Langley. Congratulations to you. So, uh, Colleen, so much fun down here. We've been touring all around the Peony, and this is one of the fun spots, definitely, for families. As I talked about, there's the uh, Star Wars area and a huge Lego area as well down here. Back to you. Oh, I love Lego. I really have to check that out. Thanks, Christy. Yeah. The odds of winning were 1 in 292 million, and she beat them, instantly becoming one of the wealthiest people in the United States. 53-year-old widow Mavis Wanzik of Chicopee, Massachusetts, came forward today as the only winner of last night's nearly $760 million Powerball lottery. Mavis Wanzik couldn't believe her own eyes when she checked her Powerball ticket after leaving work. I go... Hey, I have that. I have that. I have that. He goes, let me see that ticket. He goes, you just won. You're winning Powerball number tonight. Her picks, a combination of birthdays and special numbers. Today, as I'm driving here, I'm still like, oh, this, this isn't true. This can't be. And then now it's like, uh, I, I am a winner. The 53-year-old bought her ticket yesterday afternoon here at this convenience store and gas station in Chicopee, Massachusetts, not far from her home. The store is also a winner. It gets a cool $50,000 for selling the record-breaking ticket. Do you remember selling her the ticket? Yes, I remember. You've seen her before? I've seen her before, yeah. That's why I remember her. She's a regular here. Oh, so there's nothing here? But it was an early morning disappointment for this Massachusetts store owner 80 miles away. Overnight, the State Lotto Commission told the handy variety store just outside of Boston that it sold the winning ticket. But officials later had to take that back, saying they announced the wrong store. This was the result of a human error. Mavis, the mother of two grown children, says now after 32 years of working at a hospital, she's calling it quits. I've called them and told them I will not be coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Rahima Ellis, NBC News, Chicopee, Massachusetts.
Now we can call her quitter. <laughs> I know you always get those people who win all that money. Oh, no, I'm going back to work. Oh, goodness, no. Uh, Squire's here. And Squire, get this. So Mavis gets $336 million after taxes, because in the States, you've got to pay taxes on salaries. Not fair. But TMZ has come up with a list of people that she is now richer than. She now has more money than Mick Jagger, whose net worth is estimated at $305 million, a measly. She's also richer than Kim Kardashian, whose net worth is $175 million. Also, Katy Perry at $280 million. And Johnny Depp with an estimated net worth of $200 million. So she's still a long ways away from being as wealthy as Bill Gates, but uh, not bad. And quite frankly, she can disappear into the crowd with that money. Those other people can't. No kidding. And if she's wise, that'll be the last time she appears on camera. Yeah, never, never appear again. Yeah. We have to because we have rent to pay. You don't. <laughs> you can just disappear, Mavis, into the richness of wherever you should be. Uh, the Whitecaps last night. Yes. They found a silver lining against Seattle. Character shown was brilliant. The mentality was phenomenal. How something good came out of a not-so-good game for Vancouver. And we all know about the Superdogs at the PNE, but Squire, you're going to introduce us to one very special mutt. Stay with us. <laughs> all the conversations that go on during I know, breaks. I know, I know. But they're for after midnight. So here we go. Uh, when you battle Seattle, you would expect a lot more fight from the Whitecaps as soon as the game starts. But that's not what happened last night at BC Place Stadium. Yes, Vancouver did get a 1-1 draw against the hottest team in Major League Soccer. And I guess that's good considering Seattle's unbeaten streak is 10 games. But everything that went wrong for the Caps, and they still tied 1-1. Imagine if they were good right from the start of the game. Penalty conceded uh, from a mistake from us. It's Nicholas Ladero who tucks it in the corner. Sending off. Johnny sent off here by Ricardo Salazar. Don't know what else could go against us. But a couple of substitutions and everything changed for the better. Davies chasing forward down the left side. Marshall defensive and Davies picks it up once again. Alfonso Davies back for Montero. I expect my subs to do that when they come on. Yeah, well, they're disappointed they don't play. But when they come on, they got off an effect, and Bernie and Fonzie certainly did. The best part of the goal was 16-year-old Alfonso Davies. Yes, I know, it's so hard to believe he's 16. Showing the calmness to find the open man in Montero rather than shoot himself. One moment of magic from him, one calm head, but I see it every day. It's, it's great when it comes off. And Davies will get even better. He's still working his way back in the form after playing big minutes with Canada's national team. I still don't think he's 100%. You know, uh, uh, again, maybe we'll get to see on Saturday whether he is. Um, he needed a break, a mental break, uh, a physical break. You know, and you've got to remember how old the boy is and there's lots of things going on. So it's important we support him and uh, you respect my decisions and listen because I know what's going on with the boy. So when he comes on like that, he's exciting to watch. And, you know, we want to try and encourage him to play like that more. Uh, and he will. And as a team, the Whitecaps showed that even though they didn't give close to their best, there was enough there to salvage a point out of what really should have been a Seattle win. The mentality and character shown of this group was phenomenal today, and they deserve a lot of credit, because I know that if I was sat in the other locker room, it would feel like a defeat. Lucha Libra, a uh, Mexico, White Rock.
Winner gets Japan in the international final at the Little League World Series. 2-0 lead early for the uh, Mexican side. Samuel Juarez driving in a run. Ben, Robert Orr, Bobby Orr number four. <laughs> Over the wall. Now it's 2-1. This was a big moment for Canada. Look at this catcher by Kyle Chazowski. In the outfield with the grab. His dad, Dave, or actually not his dad, his uncle, Dave. Second overall draft pick, I believe, in 1989 in the NHL. Yeah, great player for the Canada's Blazers. Oh, mistake by Mexico. And Ty Fluette comes all the way around, and this ties the score 2-2. So it's looking good for White Rock. But from there on out, it was pretty much all Mexico. They scored four more. Jorge Garcia with the solo home run. That made it 4-2. The final chance, Daniel Orfali, but he is out, and so is Canada. Good tournament, but they ran into two tough teams at the end, Japan and Mexico. Speaking of tough, Tubby Canely hits Miguel Cabrera with a pitch. Then Cabrera and Austin Romine get talking and fighting. Yep. Play nice, boys. Tigers-Yankees games turns into a roadhouse. And then later, another beaning. Watch this. Oh! James McCann off the head. From Della and Kansas. He got tossed. He's okay, apparently. Wow. Eight people wow. thrown out of this game. Five players, two managers, and a coach. Canadian Women's Open, round one. Canada's Brooke Henderson. Got to the green okay, but when she got on it, oh, nothing but trouble. I know what that feels like. And I know what this feels like. But I'm not very good, and she is. She just had a bad day. Plus three. Leader after one round, Marina Alex. And this is why, because she was able to figure out the green on day one. Look at this goal. Europa League action, it's Everton. Hajuk split. And that is Gilfie Sigurdsson for Everton from about 50 yards away. He didn't expect it to go in. This is more... Oh, goalie embarrassment. Oh, yes, sad. Everton moves on to the Europa League group play. Wow. Thanks in part to that. Nicely done. There you go. Thank you, sir. All right, Andrew, now with a preview of Global News at 11. Anne. Thanks, Colleen. And we are keeping a close eye on that aggressive wildfire burning east of Kelowna right now. We have new pictures of the evacuation at an RV park. We will have the latest on the evacuation orders and the battle to contain the flames. Plus, police are looking for the public's help to identify an elderly man. The man was struck by a vehicle in East Vancouver this morning. He was rushed to hospital where he remains. He was not carrying any ID. We will hear from police about what they think happened to him. That's all coming up tonight when you join us at 11 o'clock. Colleen? Okay. Thanks so much, Anne. We are going to meet a peony super dog who has something in common with Squire. But hey, what's in a name? We'll both Stay dance with us. for little hot dogs. <laughs> I love hanging out with the super dogs. You... And they do. love hanging out with you, I, I'm sure. That's what I've heard. But um, <laughs> I went backstage and got to walk around and then, well, Watch this. I mean, we'll talk super dogs, but at the end, you'll see the connection between me and one of them. There you go. The super dogs are on that same exalted level as mini donuts. Everyone loves them, and the peony would not be the same without them. 
I figure that there's been 8 million people that have seen the Superdogs in British Columbia, so everyone's seen them twice. I mean, 40 years, a couple hundred thousand people. It's, it's absolutely incredible. It's the nicest, best crowd in the world. Well, the show does have everything. The athletic factor, the cuteness factor, and those who have overcome obstacles just to get here. Bam Bam seems to be working with one thing missing. Yes, he does. Bam Bam's a rescue dog from the Richmond shelter, and he does have one eye, but you know what? He does everything the two eye dogs can do. How many of the dogs are rescue dogs? Do you know what? Usually about 40 to 60%. Our people rescue them or actually adopt them because they turn into great super dogs. They have attitude, they have drive, they want to play, they want to please. Here comes Captain Crunch. Now, while we were spending our afternoon with the super dogs, both staff and stuffed, we heard this. Did he just call that dog? Okay, we have to confirm this. What's your name? Alicia. What's your dog's name? Squire. <laughs> All my dog's names start with S. It's a little tradition we have uh, as a family, and uh, I thought Squire was a good name for a companion. Yes, it is. Yeah. The beauty about the Super Dog Show Everybody gets something out of it. You can pet your favorites when the show is done or meet your namesake.